This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, What's the podcast? Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that will get you some lemonade if you like. It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most weekends are available to download later in your podcast feed, unless of course you're a patron. Patrons get perks! Patrons get those perks. Woo! I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he smells like a podcast, but we still love him. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. I don't get that reference, but ahoy! (laughs) Each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome back our guest this week. He's wearing little cowboy boots to be just like Alan Kim. It's TT, ladies and gentlemen. So adorable. Those little boots are so adorable, TT. It's pretty incredible. Uh, TT is a film critic for Fox 19 in Cincinnati, Ohio, also a fellow member of the CCA, the Critics' Choice Association. And yeah, we talked a little bit about the uh, Critics' Choice nominations in our pre-show. So if you are a CIFPOP member, uh, you should be able to uh, check that out shortly at your CIFPOP membership page. Welcome back, TT. How are you doing, man? How are things going for you? You know what? I'm feeling good. I think I've already told you I've had my second dose of the vaccine. Oh, nice. Life is good. I'm, I'm not feeling any ill effects at the moment. Although, like I said, hey, if I end up crashing, I'm right here by my bed. You may, <laughs> if I get out out of screen, that's what it is. Doesn't mean I don't love everybody. It just means that it, it's it's hitting me. Second dose is kicking in. Yeah, hadn't hit me yet. Uh, no, that's that's good. That's a man with a plan right there. He knows he knows what's yeah. going on. Um, I now want nothing more than uh, some sort of bed or cot in my office that I can just collapse onto uh, from my desk. I think that sounds absolutely wonderful. So, Andrew, how, Andrew how close are you to uh, to relaxation? Uh, my dog's doggy bed is like right next to my computer, <laughs> so which is about you know. Uh, 
two foot by two foot so it hey. could get maybe my shoulder. Yeah, sure. You'll, you'll have a very comfortable yeah. shoulder, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. We are excited to bring you a couple reviews this week, as we always do. Uh, hello to the live viewers. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Hello to the podcast listeners. We appreciate you subscribing and downloading. Uh, it's really kind of a fun group that uh, that hangs out with us in both places, and we're, we're glad to have you uh, along. So thank you for that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah and Minari uh, this week for our reviews. We are going to also do a best ever challenge, one of our trademarked crazy best ever challenges where we are finding the best ever movies that have the words and the in the title. Uh, Shockingly really high caliber list. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good <laughs> and the movies. Uh, so yeah. We will get to those. Of course, we'll also have some buried treasure um, at the end. Um, but yes, TT, glad to have you back. Andrew, good to have you along. Producer Phil, thanks for producing the show. I'm just feeling, feeling wonderful today as we headed to this. But let's get into it uh, and talk a little bit about our first movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. The Black Panthers are the single greatest threat to our national security. Our counterintelligence program must prevent the rise of a black messiah. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. What do you want? Get close to Hampton. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Neutralize him by any means necessary. Offered a plea deal by the FBI, William O'Neill infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather intelligence on Chairman Fred Hampton. Uh, Judas and the Ma Black Messiah stars Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton and Lakeith Stanfield as William O'Neill. Uh, this comes to us from director Shaka King, uh, bringing this one to us, and finds itself in the midst of a very strange award season where it can be released in February and still be a part of the consideration. So, you know, that's what brings us uh, to here. Um, this is kind of a, I mean, I guess it is a biopic, right? It's a Fred uh, Hampton biopic uh, in many ways, even though it doesn't really feel like one. Um you know, maybe we can get a little bit more into that, but let's start here. Uh, Andrew, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I really liked it close to loving it, but I'm actually wondering if it's more of a William O'Neill biopic as opposed oh. to a Fred Hampton That's biopic. That's interesting, yeah. 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 But yeah, I uh, really liked it slash really close to loved it. Okay. TT, like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? You know what? I'm in the same boat, and I completely agree with the idea that it really does feel more like the the O'Neill story than mm -hmm. Fred Fred Hampton story. So yeah, I think that's a spot on kind of assessment for this, and it is dangerously close for me to trip over into the loving it stage. But I I would still say it's a really really strong liked it a lot. Uh, guys, I unabashedly loved this movie. Um, I I get it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I was so drawn in from start to finish uh, of what's going on here, what Shaka uh, King's doing here. I just I found, and I, I guess I'll start here since it it, uh, it appears maybe I even love it more than you guys did. Um, I I just feel like even though it is a based on a true story, you know, uh, digging into just a shameful part of our history uh, in in going into those things that are important to to dig. It also provides, in many ways, uh, an interesting 
action movie, an interesting drama. Like this, this is this is a movie. Um, and when I say action, I don't mean like big explosions necessarily. I mean like a, a crime style action movie. Like the, you know, this is the, this is just a great movie. In addition to being such an important movie, and I think that's why at the end, uh, that and of course the the just absolutely bravura performances at the center of it uh, kind of put me firmly in that that loved it camp. Um, what of that stuff, TT? We'll start start with you. You know, what of that stuff do you agree with? Like, how how did this movie hit you as you were kind of going through it? You know, it 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 really hit me, and from the standpoint that this was one of several films that we've gotten, say, in the last few months, that have really looked at and explored the idea of the FBI. You know, and their kind of probing into the lives and and situations of, of people of color in this country. I mean, we've got. You know, the United States versus Billy Holiday, which will be coming up soon. Uh, you've got MLK, FBI. And, you know, even to a certain extent from myself, I would even throw uh, small acts in there, too. Because sure. even though that's not set here in the U.S., it still gives us a, an opportunity in this case to not worry about the FBI, but to look at the Black Panther Party and what they were able to do in other parts of the uh, parts of the world. Where, again, the point for them was still trying to find ways to bring communities of people together. And obviously here, the FBI had problems with that. So I, I see all of that and I take it all in and it's an opportunity for us to learn more about this history of our country and hopefully kind of use that learning as an opportunity to move the country forward because we obviously are all dealing with several other issues in terms of the government structure right now and things that are going on. But I think the thing that hurts me the most in terms of really buying into this. And I let me just say, I love the performances from Stanfield and Kaluuya. I think mm -hmm. the two of them are just incredible. They're exciting to watch. But I think what happens in seeing them is you almost forget the idea that Fred Hampton was 21 years old right? when he died. Yeah. 21. Yeah. O'Neill was not much. I mean, O'Neill was, I think, 20 at the time that all that happened. So to my mind, there's almost this sense that you you kind of miss sort of the power and the influence that these two guys had, especially, you know, Kaluuya's Hampton, because we're looking at, at, at Kaluuya in that role and we're seeing this very fully formed, mature adult, kind of a seasoned adult in that role. When in, in truth, I mean, Hampton was pretty seasoned for what he what he had experienced in his lifetime, but he, he was a really young man. So yeah. Yeah. that that for me was a little bit uh, not troubling, but it kind of just it took me out of things just a little bit. I I almost wish we could have had a twenty one year old Daniel Kaluuya doing this. I and then I then I would have been all in. I'm so glad you brought that up, and and it's interesting that you do because I had almost put that in the category of points for the movie when I realized mm. how young they were. But you're right; the performances don't lend themselves to the awareness of how these are just kids. And yeah. and yeah, yeah I, I looked it up, and uh, he was one year younger than Fred Hampton, uh, so they were right there at the uh, mm -hmm. around the same age. And yeah, the idea that he is killed at 21 years old like i mean mm -hmm. that is i mean that is sophomore year of college for people who go straight to college after high school like that's i i, I don't know it's it's right. one of those things where you're right you are absolutely right the movie itself doesn't present that in a an impactful or meaningful way what was interesting for me is as i learned that and as i understood that 
it made the story so much uh, more powerful mm-hmm. and meaningful that I almost gave points to the movie uh, for that, which is an interesting kind of psychological process. But um, but yeah, no, I, I I think you're totally right there. Andrew, what about you? What are some of your thoughts? Um, well, uh, I totally agree with TG on the fact that they, uh, both Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, are the standout performances. They're the main characters, uh, but they're they're incredible for different reasons because I feel like uh, Daniel Kaluuya was a transformative performance. Like when I was watching this, uh, I was it, it didn't feel like I was watching. Kaluuya, you know, it's like he became mm-hmm. Hampton, you know, and it was like I'm seeing this different person living his life. Like I'm not watching a performance. Um, Lakeith Stanfield is what I think is probably for me personally what I consider the best performance in the movie because I think that it lends itself to the most emotional range. I guess seeing this character go through. Uh, Fear, uh, regrets, turmoil, uh, and then also exuberance. You know, there's moments where he's just, you know, talking to all these people that uh, he is, I guess you could say. It was weird because I don't know if infiltrated because, yes, he did. But I also feel like he became a part of that movement at the same time. So infiltrating at, at or just, you know, being a friend to all these people. it It's a very difficult performance, I, I would imagine. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I bought into him 100%. Unfortunately though, and I never thought I would say this in my life. My biggest complaint with the movie is I don't think Jesse Plemons gives a good performance in this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I never thought I'd say that in my life. St. Plemons? How dare yeah, you? Yeah, St. Plemons. I know. I know. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't understand what his character wanted. Because there's parts of it where I'm like, oh, okay, so he's going to turn around on this whole thing. He's questioning the system and everything like that. And then the very next scene, you'll see him just all gung-ho with Hoover, you know? And I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. well, what about that, that scene before where you were like, oh, maybe we're not the good guys, you know? So I, I don't know if that's writing or if it's just uh, just not a well-thought-out character. I think but, uh, the I think the intent with the Plemons performance and and I I do appreciate it. I think it's a very important character to put in a movie like this. Oh, don't get me wrong, that's important. Is yeah. is the idea of um, uh, white passivity, right? The idea of well, I'm you know if I'm not the one who's calling the shots, I'm just in a system. I'm just playing my part. I'm just you know like there's the the idea of. Because sometimes what you can get in a movie like this is just a lot of extremes, right? Just a lot of, uh, you know, because obviously J. Edgar Hoover is the villain of this movie. And the movie is not shy about making him the oh. villain. Um, Martin Sheen, I think, right? Absolutely unrecognizable yeah. Uh, yeah. as J. Edgar Good Hoover. makeup on that port. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it is supposed to, uh, and I, I could be wrong. I could be totally, you know, uh, putting this on the movie. But I think it is supposed to go, look, you don't have to be pulling the actual trigger to be part of the problem, to be part of uh, the issue. And I think that I think that is an important character to have there, an important part of the story uh, to say. Otherwise, it can be very easy to uh, distance yourself from the issue, from the problem, from your own bias, from your own uh, culpability. And so I, I think that's what that character is there to try to do. 
Yeah. Well, it's the Milgram exper experiment, right? You know, where they had the people behind the glass and if they got an answer wrong, they would get shocked mm -hmm. or they thought that they would get shocked, you know, and it was supposed to uh, correlate to uh, in World War II how Nazi soldiers felt like, well, I'm just uh, following orders, you know, so right. I'm not the bad mm -hmm. guy. I'm the one that's just following the orders. So right. it's, it's pa passing the buck of blame sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah, and I, I I don't think he was spectacular, but I didn't I didn't see it as a you know necessarily a, a problem um, of the movie uh, in that way. Um, TT, other thoughts? Well, you know, again, I still like I said, I stand by the idea that with a lot of these biopics when they come out, especially when they're these big kind of pivotal historic moments, you know, there tends to be more questioning of those stories when they're from people of color. You know, Ava DuVernay got tons of, you know, pushback against Selma mm -hmm. because of, oh, well, how are you portraying, you know, the, the president in this particular situation or, you know, the, the white characters in, in other situations? How, how do these things play out? And again, are you trying to, to villainize them even more? And it's interesting that, again, like I said, one of the things with this film, it is less about you know, whether elements were downplayed or upplayed or anything like that. It's just more the idea that, again, the film sets up and it feels almost to an extent like if if we didn't know this was true, this would be sort of a crazy story that you can right. imagine someone making up. Right. Like yeah. the idea, yeah, I'm going to find a black guy who has committed some crimes and then I'm going to insert him into this world. And I mean, basically if we look at it, this is, I mean, and I feel, I, I'm really feeling kind of weird that I'm even going to bring this up, but it's kind of like the Fast and the Furious in a way. <laughs> okay. like, that's what it feels like. We're, we're inserting some guy into this world. And, but we, again, it's, it's a story kind of thing that you could buy that that's what would happen. But again, the fact that this is real should force us to really watch it and, and look at it and then really go back and explore and learn the history. And really, like I said, the thing that's, that's fascinating is you find out again, like I said, with the, the, the Billy holiday film, the same kind of dynamic takes place, right? They were able to find people, find black people who they could say, okay, we want to insert you into this world. We want, we're trying to, you know, dig up dirt, find out whatever we can. We're going to put you in here. And again, that central, dilemma is a really fascinating and complex dilemma because yeah if you're that black character who has then you know been forced into this into this situation how do you deal with it again right. we've already talked about the idea that o'neill has that tricky kind of role where he's he's there and he's friends with people and he again he starts to feel and believe what he's hearing again you can't not feel and believe hearing fred hampton or you know daniel kaluuya kind of inspiring you with his words about the power of being a revolutionary and not think that well yeah i should be a part of this this is this movement yeah. matters and yet i'm i'm still i gotta cover my own skin a little bit so i've got to rat out people and again right. that's a that's a fascinating dynamic that again like i said we're used to seeing in films all the time but now this is not just a film. This is a true story. So then it again, it should force us to really think about and evaluate again how these tropes and how powerful they really can be when again you're placing them in a in a real life context. I think yeah. one of the well, 
the the most powerful parts of Stanfield's performance is how internal it is. Um, and I was really impressed with his ability to to communicate that turmoil when he mm-hmm. had to yeah. keep it interior, right? Because he's undercover. So that turmoil can't be exterior, yet he managed to, through the performance, through the writing as well, uh, you know, communicate that to us. And I, I was I was so blown away by these two performances. I just, yeah. they just floored me. So what were you going to say, uh, Andrew? I think TT uh, brought up something that uh, actually lends itself to a more like crazy notion that this is a true story because you brought up the Fast and the Furious. But if you think about that, like Brian O'Connor, or if you look at Point Break with Johnny Utah, those guys were cops who went undercover. This is somebody who had no training, no, um, you know, knowledge of what he was really getting into it's it it lends itself to the craziness that this actually happened and that this is the way Mm -hmm. they went about it it feels almost like yeah you're taking advantage of him but it seems almost more deprived depravity like there's a higher level of depravity to it because you're not like it's not like you it's not like jesse plemons really had any love or connection to O'Neill, right. you know, whenever, like if he's okay. not like I'm sending my partner in there, you better keep him safe. There's none of that going on. Like if something happens to O'Neill while he's in there, Plemons doesn't care. You know, he right. is a, uh, and it feels m- much more dangerous. Yes. For uh, O'Neill, but at the same time, there's no, there's no cavalry coming to save him. So there's a higher level of intensity that, like uh, Tichi said, if this was a crazy action movie, you wouldn't believe it if you didn't know if we know it was true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, man, I I I really respect uh, a lot of what goes on in this movie and and what they did here. I think it's it's incredible work and and it's definitely one that I think needs to be seen. And that uh, amongst you know all the other things that we we say, I think you know this is this is really important. It's like <clears throat> you look at Trial of the Chicago Seven, right? This whole movie takes place in the middle of Trial of Chicago 7. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and, yeah. It's, and it's like Trial of the Chicago 7 just kind of waves at it. She's like, hey, guys, and just kind of goes on by, right? And then you watch this movie, and you're like, wait, how did you just wave at that? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those movies that, that further informs such an important part of history. And, um, and yeah, so I, yeah, if nothing else, <laughs> hear the recommend to, to check it out. Uh, understand the story and to wrestle with it. So, yeah. 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 Definitely. Cool. Powerful movie. Powerful um, movie that I think, I think this movie is going to stick with me for a while. Yeah. Uh, like, a, like it's hard to put into words sometimes. Like when you see something and you're like, how could I have been you know, either blind or ignorant or uh, just a, uh, unappreciative of the struggles of others. And then this year in particular, and I guess I'll I'll get 2020 and this year have really, you know, done a great job with bringing films that really shine a light on a history that uh, I guess Aaron and I, we just, I'm not speaking for Aaron, but we uh, either didn't know, or obviously we uh, didn't appreciate to a certain extent because we didn't live it. Yeah. That's why it's so important. So yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. TT will give you the, the final thoughts as far as like you recommend it for people, <laughs> you know, um, what would you say to people thinking about seeing this? 
Yeah, you know what? I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. And again, I think, you know, I want to piggyback off that last comment because really what this this story is about and and one of the things that's so fascinating about it, again, we're watching it in February during Black History Month. But mm-hmm. I have been very vocal over the last few weeks uh, during our, our coverage here where I'm talking about the idea that I'm I'm kind of pushing back against that whole idea of Black History Month because really at the end of the day, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah is an American story. Right. And we should be talking about it as an American story. And again, part of the discussion about it has to revolve around the idea that yes, in most cases, people may not have known about Hampton and O'Neill and what was going on and how the FBI was doing all this stuff. But we, again, this is not, we can't just look at this and say, well, yeah, because it was about this black figure in Chicago and you know, that's it. That's it. It it has a a niche kind of approach to it. It's like, no, this is American history. This is about our country. Right. So we need these stories to have a better understanding of who we are as a country, how we've handled situations in the past. And then ideally it informs what we're saying that we're trying to do in today's world. Yep. So that's the only the only thing for me that really matters at the end of the end of the day about this film is we just need to stop thinking about it as if it's a you know a segmented or a segregated part of our history. This is us. This that's just that's right. at the end of the day. That's really what we need to be thinking about. Very well said. Appreciate that, TT. Um, we will leave it there and move on to our second movie uh, for the week. Let's talk a little bit about Minari. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. I don't like grandma. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. What about grandma smell? A Korean-American family moves to an Arkansas farm in search of its own American dream. Amidst the challenges of this new life in the strange and rugged Ozarks, hey, I know those, they discover the (laughs) undeniable resilience of family and what really makes a home. Uh, Steven Yoon is is, uh, Jacob, uh, Han Yi Ri, um, Yoon Young Jung. Uh, We mentioned uh, little Alan S. Kim in here as well, doing some fun work. Uh, Yeah, this is... It's interesting, TT, that we come out of Judas and the Black Messiah with you talking about an American story, and we come to another movie that is having that exact same discussion right now because it's Mm -hmm. falling into nominations as a foreign language film, but there has rarely been such an American movie. This is exactly what you're talking about in a different context, but because Mm -hmm. it's a Korean family and because they speak Korean... Uh, all of a sudden it is this segmented thing, or now it's a foreign language film or, or whatever the case may be. So I find it very interesting that that's kind of the transition as we kind of head in mm-hmm. uh, to Minari. Now, I will say, um, and I should have said this with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, that is currently available to stream on HBO Max uh, as well as mm-hmm. in theaters if you want to check that out. Minari is in theaters uh, and also available, was available, I should say, to screen at the A24 screening room. Uh, all of those screenings, it appears to me on the website, are sold out. They did a, a thing where they had 
6 p.m. screenings available up until the 25th, but all those tickets have been sold. I uh, wanted to let you know uh, that as well. And also because of that, uh, Andrew has not had a chance to see this. So I wanted to let people know that uh, ahead, of time as, <laughs> ahead of time as well. Um, so Andrew, that does not mean you are eliminated from the conversation. Feel free to ask questions. Uh, and he has now left the camera. Uh, he does not want to take part. Uh, so feel free to ask questions, interject, all those kind of things. But I wanted to let people know that TT and I are the ones who have seen um, Minari. So I guess I will start there, TT, with you. What did you think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? You know what? I like this a lot. And again, you're completely right. This is, again, for, for my money, this is one of the most American films I've seen in the last year. Right? Yeah. It, it, it does. It captures another aspect of the American experience. It captures it beautifully, too. And again, it's such it's such a really pointed and intimate kind of story that, you know, it, it pulls you right in. It's about the immigrant experience. And I think it does, it does this really great thing of being able to give us three very different takes or perspectives on that America, on that immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. You've got the grandmother who, you know, has just come over, doesn't speak English, really is sort of the, the root of the old country. You have the, the parents, her children who, you know, have come here and understand and appreciate the idea of what the American dream is about and they want to do the best they can to achieve it. And again, the heart of the drama is watching Jacob, the father, struggle with trying to achieve that American dream and what happens to him along the way. But then it also gives you the chance to look at the children too. And the children are, you know, are, are here. They're American citizens in a completely different way. Their connection to the old country is yeah. only through the grandmother, but you see and feel all of that in this story. Yeah. And you see all of them interacting with, you know, the other citizens in their community and how it all plays out. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's another one of those for me that I, I would say it's, it's a really, 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 really close to loving it but i'm just not quite there yet but again the the jump is so small that sure i, I mean it's negligible at best because again it's a, it's a great powerful film yeah i find myself right on uh, the the precipice of loved it as well and probably falling over into that preface so you could say mm -hmm. low side of loved it um i yeah i i really think this is a great movie uh, a spectacular film i i was impressed with a lot of you know uh what's going on here but i think what you said specifically about the the generational thing is the magic of this movie and the way because amongst many of the uh asian american reviews that i've read of this movie there is an identif identification they make with one of those three generations that you mention and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be wrong about this, but I believe the children of immigrants consider themselves what's called like generation one American, like generation one immigrants, mm -hmm. that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. So what you're dealing with in this movie is generation negative one, generation zero, and generation one, right? Like the, right. we are really yeah. looking at the idea of uh, what immigration looks like at its fullest. And you are so correct. It is such an American tale. The idea of the promise of... Um, that is given of coming to this country, um, you know, making your own thing, making it work. That is what this movie is about. And it deals in such beautiful nuance with what is real about that and what isn't real about that and where, you know, where that succeeds and where that fails. And I was just, I was, I was really captured 
And the reason I end up in the loved it category, I was really captured by uh, just being able to experience that through this family and kind of what they're going through. Um, what are some of your general thoughts, TT? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and just to say that you know what I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm 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 falling into the into the loving category. <laughs> Good, the yes, more we right. the more we fest. talk about it, I was kind of already there anyway. And I'm like, why am I why am I trying to hold myself? Up? No, no, no. Yeah, it's a love fest. Let's do commit, it. Commit, Gigi. Commit. <laughs> I, I'm going to. This is it. I'm gonna dive into the love it. This was one of those films that was that was always feeling like a top ten film of the year yeah. for me because of everything that we've talked about. And I feel like it definitely hit there and, and yeah, it hit me in all the right places. But I think the thing that is fascinating to me, you know, again, we spend so much time as critics in today's world talking about representation and what it means and how we see and experience other people's stories and find ways to incorporate them into our own experiences. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a black person here in the United States who can trace his family's connection here to my grandmother's grandfather, who was the first freedman in our family, which means that there were generations before Solomon where we were still here mm -hmm. and we weren't considered citizens or anything else. So we, yeah. I mean, in my mind, I, I, you know, in some ways I'm kind of like, yeah, I have one of those quintessential American kinds of experiences, but I love being able to see a film like this and explore someone else's impression of what the American experience and the American dream is like too, because it kind of helps you to recognize that, wait a minute, there isn't just one monolithic way of looking at what it means to be American. Right. And the more that we open ourselves up and the more that we have the opportunity to spend time and hear about other people's stories and experiences, the more it kind of, you know, kind of fills out that idea of what our experience is and who we are as a people. So yeah, this is, this is again, for me, one of those stories that I did, I watched it and, and, and it, it, it lured me in with that. But again, I was also just as excited and I'm glad, especially during award season. Now we're seeing some love for the performances along the way. Yeah. Because you know, the, the film and the story is great, but again, it's not going to have the same power if we don't buy those characters and Jacob and for me in a lot of ways he's not getting the same kind of love that, that like his that, that the grandmother gets or the kids get but there's something so really gritty and intense and primal about the idea of a guy who's like yeah this is my dream this is this is why I brought my family here we're trying to save mm -hmm. each other we're trying to set up a future for ourselves and by golly I'm going to do whatever it takes and there's a stubborn determination to it that he gives us, Stephen Young gives us all of that in the best ways possible. He doesn't have to scream it and shout it and jump. I mean, again, it gets, it, you, you feel it in his bones in, in this performance. Yeah. So that for me is one of the takeaways where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's great work and I'm glad we're recognizing it. Because again, this is the kind of film, A24, smaller independent title, you know, in, in another year, this is, again, not necessarily getting as much love from the Critics' Choice or potentially from the Oscars. But, yeah, there's an opportunity here. And I hope we don't, like, let that, you know, slip through our fingertips because this is this is something we need to recognize and we need to pay attention to it. Because if we do it now, then we open that door and we keep it open for more of these different kinds of stories to come through and for us to have these greater, you know, experiences of, of what the entire American experiment is all about. Yep. 
Uh, agree with you about the performances. I think they're great. Uh, another thing this movie does very well is it moves you through the story of this family and hits kind of the 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 major turning points in this family, uh, the major events, things that happen. Um, and it understands how to construct that story in a way that momentum never feels lost. Uh, it, it You always feel like you're uh, understanding what is going on with this family, where they are in their journey, and what this might mean to them. Uh, and because of that, the emotion you feel with them, uh, that empathy is such a huge part of this movie succeeding at what it wants to do. That, you know, when when they're in a good time, you're in a good time. And when some, you know, tragedy hits, you're feeling tragedy. You know, like this this movie does such a great job at putting you in a family and putting me in a family that I don't this isn't what I see in the mirror, right? Like this isn't this isn't something I recognize. I don't understand the Korean culture necessarily that that somebody else might identify with, but I do understand the humanity. And this movie does such a great job mm. at at helping um, at really portraying humanity that that at the end of the day is you go, well, you know, you can talk about what it means to be quote unquote American, but this movie is really concerned about what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And part of what the movie is doing is saying that, that when we excise what American or America means to us from what being human means, that's where we've made the mistake. And so mm -hmm. the movie gives us several examples um, I think with this family interacting with people who don't see them as what it means to be uh, American and, and discludes them from that. Um, so yeah, I was just, I was really impressed with the, the structure and the storytelling in this. I, I found it very compelling overall. Um, Andrew, you, you have any questions, any thoughts, anything, you know, as you've kind of looked at this movie from afar and, and haven't seen it, what, what have been some of your <laughs> thoughts? Um, uh, it is on my radar and I really do want to see it. And I'm glad to hear that you both love it. Um, especially you now, TT, that you committed <laughs> to it. Yeah. Um, but, um, it, it's kind of the story that I expected to hear. I guess I could say that it's the, uh, uh yeah, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it's the, uh, the American dream is earned, not given, uh, that these, that this coming to this new place and trying to find a piece of it of it to make your own can be difficult. Uh, and it's, it's a story that I, I'm interested and fascinated to see put out and to hear that, you know, young and the rest of this cast are giving it their own, giving it the performance that it deserves is exciting for me to go and watch it whenever, uh, a 24 decides to stop, uh, giving a number on the tickets they sell for a digital <laughs> release. <laughs> oh. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah we haven't mentioned will Patton as well um i always like seeing mm -hmm. will Patton pop up and stuff and his role here is interesting it's it's a i think he does uh, a, a really great job with it and i think it plays again a crucial role of you know someone trying to understand and and someone who is dealing with their own uh labels and in those kind of things so um so yeah i think that the movie is is well textured in that way and that it you know uh, approaches the, the themes and the topics from several different angles uh, while we still focus on this family. So yeah. I had to look up because uh, I forgot who Will Patton was, but yes, now I'm even more excited because I love Will Patton. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other thoughts, TT on this one? You know, I think we've covered it all and you're right. I'm glad you did mention Patton because yeah, that's again, that's one of those great relationships in there where there's that there could potentially be that clash of cultures or where there's this, this uncomfortable kind of look at how the two are, are 
interacting and in some cases could be seen in a very negative way. But again, it's it's an opportunity to see how you move past that. Mm-hmm. How, again, you start to learn about each other and have the opportunity to say, okay, well, yeah, you're like me. Again, that shared humanity is the piece that, okay, right. yeah, we're, we both want the same things. And it's just like, yeah, I recognize that's what you want because yeah, that's what I'm trying to get to. And again, that's, like I said, that's, we need more of that. So I'm like, yeah, this, this film opens that door. It's going to keep it open. So I'm like, yeah, we need to, we need more of that, especially today. Totally agree. Uh, it is one of those weeks where this is a very easy one to recommend both kind of week. Uh, if you know these weren't already on your radar to see, both of them should be, I believe. Um, I believe you'll take something from them uh, either way. So yeah, this is another big recommend uh, for me as well. So Andrew, I'm excited for you to eventually see it. And I, I can't wait to, to hear your thoughts uh, once you do. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Eventually, A24 will figure out this crazy thing called the internet and how to do more than, you know, just a few virtual tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Sold I out. Mean, no uh, more seats. No more internet I'm, seats, Andrew. No more internet seats. Yeah. I'm sure there's a way I could have watched it, but, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I just didn't look hard enough. Uh, yeah, really, at the end of the day, it's all your fault. Let's move on to the best. Let's move on to the best ever challenge. Uh, before we do, though, just a uh, shout out and thank you to our Sif Pop members. Thank you for making this podcast and the uh, website, SifPop.com, possible. Um, we really do appreciate you. If you're curious what that's all about, you can check it out at the Patreon, patreon.com slash siftpop. We do a uh, weekly bonus podcast uh, where we talk about a separate topic. In this case, we talked about the uh, Critics' Choice Award nominations and uh, some thoughts about those from uh, TT, who is a fellow member of the Critics' Choice. Uh, so you can check that out again at patreon.com slash siftpop. And thank you so much uh, to those who already support all right, let's do the best ever challenge. We're doing best ever and the movies. These are movies that have and the in the title uh, in honor of Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, so, yeah, we already mentioned the fast and the furious. Uh, so I'm sure that was a- already on uh, all of our lists. But uh, but a little let's honorable, honorable mention. Sure. Yeah, it's in the yes, honorable mention. Definitely. <clears throat> definitely. Uh, let's go number five to number one. We'll go around in a circle. Um, and, uh, I'll start us off with my number five. Uh, I had Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban, which is my favorite Harry Potter movie. And I think, uh, is, is good stuff. So, um, that's what I had in at my number five. Uh, all the Harry Potter movies fit into this category, right? Don't they all, aren't they all (laughs) and the movies? Every last one of them. Am I wrong about that? And the Deathly Halls. Yeah, I think they all. I think yeah, they all I think they all don't, I, don't ask me. I don't like Harry Potter. So. Oh, well, fair enough. I have, yeah, I have no idea. Andrew, why don't yes, you... Aaron, yes, Aaron. They all are <laughs> and the movies. So. Thank you. I appreciate the yes ending. Uh, yeah. What's your number five, Andrew? Uh, actually, my number six and number five are kind of interchangeable because I forgot my number six existed oh. while I was making the, before I sent the list to Phil. But uh, I'm, I'm going to go. My number five is Jason and the Argonauts. It's an old 1963 movie, and oh my goodness, this movie is amazing. The score, the sound, like the score for this movie is brilliant. It's like uh, epic and grandiose, and the acting is surprisingly, it's not like cheesy campiness for like an old like mythology movie. Uh, But I think the thing that really sets us apart is the, the brilliant use of practical slash special effects for a movie this old that to this day 
seeing Talos turn his head, uh, you know, and you see this giant sculpture, you're like, oh, wow, they, they did some great stuff with some uh, brilliant and uh, stuff I never would have thought of for as far as like uh, special effects in the yeah. 60s would go. So I love this movie. I really do. It's a great epic myth- mythological tale that a lot of people need to see. Nice. TT, what do you got at number five? You know what? That's a great one. I'm so glad that 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 triggered in my head. I need to go back and see that again. So yes, that was, that was really great. Good. It was great. Um, I went kind of cheesy and campy with my number five. I went with Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Oh, you nice. you talked about the technology and how you know they rendered all yeah. those effects adjacently organized. I mean, I feel like in some ways this was, you know sort of a newer, yeah, let's have some fun with green screen. What can we do? How can we put all this stuff together and, and, and not use very much in terms of practical effects? Um, and it didn't necessarily do all that well at the box office, but I actually remember the press screening for this, going to see it and kind of being on a little bit of a high. Like I was like, wow, I wonder what they're gonna do with this and how is it gonna look? And I'm usually not, all that interested in any of the technical stuff behind all of, you know, behind the films that we watch, I kind of go in and I'm like, you know what, it's better for all of that stuff to kind of bleed away. And I just settle into the world and get in with the characters and all that. But I did, I found myself really enjoying watching this just to see how they figured it all out and how they put it together. And mm-hmm. it was almost like a puzzle in a way, kind of looking at all that technical stuff, which to be quite honest, reminded me that I probably didn't need to pay that much attention to the story because it really wasn't that much there in the <laughs> no. first place. No, not really. Oh, so, yeah, it was it was fine kind of skipping the story in that case. But yeah, dude, I had a great time. And again, uh, this whole challenge kind of reminded me of the idea that yeah. in my mind, the and the 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 whole idea of the and the films, there was some kind of fun, cheesy campiness mm-hmm. to the idea. So it was like, yeah, this fit in in its own way. Well, and I, I like I like the 1950s elsewhere elseworld kind of movies that kind of uh, I guess what would you call it like a made up history you know like mm, if this what would if. happen yeah the what mm. if it um it's a fun movie you know it's one of those kind of like uh, I I don't know why but I rewatched our or listened to our podcast about Terminator Dark Fate it's one of those movies like I liked it just don't think about it you know it's yeah. a good movie yeah. if you just don't <laughs> think about it yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, you're right. There is something about this whole category, the, and the, that has a, a, a feel to it that is, um, like based on old comics almost, you know, like there's, there's, there's very much that, you know, your hero and the, you know, whatever his challenge is, you know, this time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, all right. Onto our number fours. My number four is Kubo and the two strings. Um, man, do I love this movie. This movie is gorgeous, beautiful, uh, extremely thematic, powerful. Um, and I love the way the story turns at the end, I think is, is really interesting as well. So this has, uh, been one of my favorites since it came out and I wanted to mention it again. I will also say all five in my top five are in my, uh, top, uh, 200 movies of all time. So, um, so yeah, they, yeah. they're all, you know, movies that I, that I really, really do love. And Kubo is, is definitely one of those. So, uh, if you haven't had a chance to see Kubo in the two strings, I would highly recommend it. That is my number four. Yeah. What do you got, Andrew? Um, um, I'm just going to echo that because, uh, I think when we first watched it, I said, yeah, I liked it, but after revisiting it a couple times, I've really appreciated that movie a lot more. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think Kubo is great. Uh, my top four are actually also in my top hundred movies of all time. Nice. So, uh, my number four is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah. Uh, I, you know me, I love westerns, and this is one of the best. Uh, the chemistry between uh, Paul and uh, Redford is just uh, great. It's just uh it's so comedic and so it feels so natural the way that they're they're talking to each other. You know, uh, uh, Paul Newman is this charismatic, you know, can't get me down. Got, always got that smile on his face kind of guy. Well, you have Redford as this quiet, uh, steely eyed, mysterious, uh, just nobody knows any really much about him. But it's like, I don't know why those two characters work so well together, but they do. And the effects in this movie also, uh, there's an effect in this movie I didn't know how they did where there's a train car that explodes right in front of them. And I'm like, I have no idea how they did that. I mean, that just sounds like an incredibly dangerous stunt to do. So I looked up online how they did it. They blew up a train car right in front of two stunt <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, they, they did that? And I guess, yeah. it's, I guess it's one of the most dangerous stunts ever done for a movie like yeah. ever that, uh, that no, you that can tell when you watch it blew up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, mm. cause I, I re I, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie or seen that scene, but I'm like, yeah, th those aren't like dummies that they just put in front of oh, a no. train car. Those are like people moving around. And I'm like, how did they do that? And I looked it up. They did it. And it's funny because they show a behind, uh, a behind the cameras. Like they have a bunker built in front of all the cameras Mm -hmm. And then in front of the bunker are the two stuntmen. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are insane. I hope they got paid well to have a train car blow up in front of them with real dynamite. You watch some of those old movies and man, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy what the stunt people yeah. survive uh, back yeah. then. So yeah. Uh, what's your number four, TT? All right. I'm going to stick with the whole cheese ball aspect that I've had going so far. And Do me, it. It's Smokey and the Bandit. Ah, I had that you in my know. honorable mentions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got, yeah, this just the idea of, again, from, you know, with Cannonball Run and the Dukes of Hazard, and there's a whole world of these kinds of films that I just, you know, there's a part of me as a kid growing up, you saw them on TV back in the day on network TV. There was the fun of watching them. And I've already mentioned like the whole Fast and Furious thing, which, in some ways, it's like, you know, the latter day version of these kinds of stories. So, you know, the outlaws, you know, racing cars and trucks and doing whatever they need to do, you know, playing people for fools along the way. But there's always this kind of weird joking camaraderie between the, the two opposing sides. Like I, I yeah, at some point, I kind of have to say I love the idea of all of those. So yeah, it's, it's, this is again, this kind of fits in for me. Um, like I said, it was the whole cheesiness of it that I was kind of like, yeah, that's, you know, that's part of the fun too. Like this is, this is a great day to think about cheese. So <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the best I can to keep the cheese going. Very nice. Well, I think that Burt Reynolds in Smoking the Bandit is very much, if I want to do a comparison to Paul Newman, of Butch mm. Cassidy, he's got that smile, that that a suave debonair. Like, even though it's like a like a redneck, it's a redneck version of that. But he's mm. like he's charming, you know. You, you love yeah. the guy. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I love Smokey and the Band. I think it's a super fun movie. 
Yeah. yeah. Good call. Good call. All right. On to our number threes. Uh, always impressed by our live chat. Um, they know us very well. Uh, they they just called my number three. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, mm, same. Is, is my number. That's your number three as well. All right. There wow. you go. Uh, I don't know. This is one of those movies where there is certainly you could certainly make an argument that this is not a good movie, like not a well-made movie. Like it is a movie that ran out of money. They had to completely, you know, uh, figure out some sort of weird ending that, you know, has no connection to anything whatsoever. Like it just doesn't matter, I guess. Like it's one of those movies that is just so much fun along the way. And it's probably just because it's a bunch of friends goofing around and trying to make a movie together. And man, yeah. I don't, there is no, I don't even think I have to guess at this. I think it's very easy for me to say there is no movie I have quoted more in the history of my life than, than Monty Python in the Holy Grail. Um, Princess Bride. Even Princess Airplane. Bride, because with Monty Python, Monty Python was just everybody in you oh, know, yeah. junior high and high school was just like, you know, we would have yeah. entire quote unquote sleepovers to watch this movie five times in a row. You know what I mean? Like it was just so it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, you're probably right. Princess Bride would be definitely be in my top five. But um, but yeah, this movie easily is the most quoted for me. So, yeah, Monty Python and yeah. the Holy Grail is just it's always going to be one of those for me. I concur. Well, there you go. <laughs> we don't even need to spend time on it. TT, what's it? Your number three. All right. You know, I, I, I cheated with this because I kind of did what you did with the Harry Potters. I, I put the Indiana Jones franchise. That's not a cheat. Here. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. if I if I had to pick one, I would go with The Last Crusade. Just it, just because, yeah, the idea, and especially now that we just lost Sean Connery, there was so much fun in that interplay between the two of them that, yeah, they, it was it was weirdly sentimental at times, but yet all in the service of just having a great time with these stories. And again, you know, it's, it's what I'm kind of sensing and seeing in, in all of the films that we're coming up with so far, we've talked an awful lot about the idea of, again, the, 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 the notion of the and the films. One of the other things that kind of plays out of this is these films feel like very serialized yeah. and are, are taking advantage of mm. that earlier time of, of storytelling with action and cliffhangers and, yep heroes and, and either their journeys or you know the, the the people that they were in opposition with so again yeah this idea indiana jones is that kind of iconic kind of yeah. character and figure that you'd want to have so yeah he's he's easily slotted in and like i said yeah i would go specifically with the last crusade if i had to choose just one that would be the one I would choose. We'll we'll talk about it uh, more later. I didn't want to interrupt you, but uh, but yeah, I I actually have that a little higher on my list. Uh, uh. So we we will chat about it even more in a little bit. Um, let's go to including right including right now because it's my number two. <laughs> oh. Did you pick Last Crusade as well? Yeah. Nice. Well, wow. we'll have wow. to wait even. Uh, I think one uh, more round for me. I think me, the so. only other one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, obviously, you know, number one is Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Oh, of course. So I think course, we can go. Yeah. I think we can go ahead and talk about Last Crusade right now. No, uh, uh, TT, you're absolutely right. Uh, if I had to choose my favorite out of all the Anna Jones, it's easily Last Crusade. A lot of people would say Raiders, but for me, I think mm -hmm. Last Crusade yeah. was the perfect way to not only tell a great movie, but to also, unfortunately, they tried to say farewell to a great franchise. Um, 
Mm. Uh, and it also uh, ended up being the best pickup line on Tinder. Whenever I match with somebody, I send them the gif of you have chosen wisely, and I always get a, a good laugh out of it from the other person. So Good to yeah. know. Good to know, Andrew. Very good to know. Yeah. Uh, okay. My number two is Beauty and the Beast, uh, the original, the OG, of course. Um, man, I love this movie. Uh, that Disney run of animated films that this is in is just some of the the best filmmaking uh, that's ever come from a company over uh, you know a course of time. Pixar has another great run like that too, but. Um, but yeah, I just, I, this movie is, it hits my sweet spot, came out, you know, right when I was in high school and, uh, you know, great date movie, you know, kind of one of those this movies. This movie that, didn't come out in the thirties. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, I hear what you're saying. Hey, hey, uh, we, we got a jokester line. here. <laughs> <laughs> we got a kidda. Uh, yeah. So I really, I really dig this one. Uh, Andrew, you already mentioned yours was in the last crusade. So TT, what is your mm-hmm. number two? Yep, number two for me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> well, I know, you know I know whose number one that is. That is certainly Andrew's number one. That's one of his favorite movies ever. Oh wow. Well yeah, I yeah, yeah I'm a huge fan. You know, and again, we you already mentioned Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So again, yeah, this yeah. was another Western that was great to include in there. And again, you know, I would actually argue of the Sergio Leone films, this is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Out of yeah. out of those, so yeah, this again, great pairing of performers. Uh, love the yeah, again, there's just something really iconic and dry and just exciting about the idea of everyone in this film. Every element comes together at just the right way that it should. That again, yeah, it feels like that quintessential kind of western. So yeah, yeah. it's an easy number two for me. And again, I've I've had a couple of opportunities to kind of move away from the cheese. I'm just going to let everybody know that the cheese is coming back with my number one. So don't worry. <laughs> yeah, right. there you go. So would you say for a second you had to cut the cheese? I think for a second there you just had to... <sighs> No. Yeah, joke. No, glad okay. I could glad I could set you up for that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, all right, time for our number ones. Two of which have already been mentioned. My number one is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, I yeah. think I find it very interesting that all three of us chose the Last Crusade as our Indiana Jones movie because most people well, I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of people would say Raiders uh, would be their favorite indie movie. But as Andrew already mentioned, there's just something about Last Crusade. I think it's just a yeah a more fun, complete movie for me, and it may happen to do with the order I saw them in. I actually saw Last Crusade as my first indiana jones movie um that's weird yeah it is very weird um and i didn't see raiders till later um so uh i was only at that time watching uh movies on tv we didn't go to the movies and so for whatever reason last crusade was playing on tv and we recorded it and you know i was able to watch that one first so um so yeah so i i my movie upbringing had a lot of commercials in it uh unlike a lot of people so that's that's just an interesting uh interesting look at my life uh you so, know what i'm i'm right there with you you know you had to watch movies on the telly mm-hmm. and you had to watch them with the uh the edited timeline for movies so yeah. they would fit in that perfect slot so, oh man i, I yeah. gotta tell you when when we've come into you know the the technological idea of first of all widescreen televisions and all that kind of stuff movies were fresh for me uh, watching Star Wars for the first time, like as a complete movie in its actual aspect ratio, was kind of mind blowing for me. Like you know, it's just it was it was an interesting experience. Uh, you know, having having that kind of stuff happen. Um, uh, 
But uh, but yeah, Last Crusade is just so great, and uh, I, I love it a I'm lot. Right and Andrew, your number one has been mentioned as well. Yeah, uh, everybody knows. I think the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is the greatest movie of all time. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's no surprise that it's my number one. I mean, I it's impossible, right? It's impossible for a, a movie to be higher. So, um, but yeah, uh, TT nailed it. Um, this movie is a great, it is the greatest Western obviously, but at the same time, it's a great civil war story because this all takes place and you see the ramifications and the horrors of the civil war taking place around these three guys trying to get this treasure. And, uh, the the performances all around are great uh everybody plays their part perfectly i'm uh, even though he's you know the title character i think um clint eastwood is the second most interesting person in this movie i think tuco is really the character that i love the most because i think he has the most range to him uh don't get me wrong blondie is this you know the the epitome of a BA Western hero, you know, he's got the quick draw, he's got the steely eyes. Uh, but Tuco is human, I guess you could say, where everybody else in this movie is superhuman. Um, but yeah, it's like I said, it's the greatest movie ever made. So yeah, number one. <laughs> uh, I just realized my favorite movie of all time is also in this category. Category: uh, Singing and the Rain. Isn't that the title yes. of the movie? Singing and the Rain. I think is is yeah. how that movie goes. Uh, yeah. TT, what is your number one and the movie? Bring back the cheese, my friend. All right, Here I'm bringing back the cheese, which with the sword and the sorcerer, oh. which is hilarious. It's a good movie. <laughs> it is a good movie, but let me just say that again. This is one of those that has completely weird personal kind of connections for me. I was literally about a month ago just talking with one of my best friends. We grew up together. We've known each other since we were maybe 10 years old. And we were talking about, because we're both you know, movie geeks. And as a matter of fact, it was probably in my time growing up, spending time at this guy's house because he was out of my crew. He was the first guy in my crew who had HBO, he had the first VCR. So, you know, whenever we got together, we went to Dave's house and we watched movies and we hung out. And again, those late night slumber parties where we watch stuff like endlessly, yep. that was part of our experience. But again, we saw the sword and the sorcerer together in theaters in the early eighties when it first came out. Nice. And he brought that up. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm trying to remember, like we've seen all this stuff together. You know, we were, it was like, was it E.T. the first film that we saw? And he's like, no, it was The Sword and the Sorcerer because we were both into Dungeons and Dragons at that phase. And again, kind of bringing our whole crew of friends into it. And just the idea of the blade, the the, the sword with three blades. Three sword, three blades. You could shoot <laughs> blades out. My God, yeah. we spent so much time coming up, you know, with ways to try to do that in D&D to make it work. And yeah, we probably saw that film not because we cared about the story or anything else, but we probably saw that film like multiple times in the theater just because we were like, "Wow, look at that sword, man! That's just yeah. the coolest thing ever." That was again, it became this 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 iconic thing in our world. So yeah. that's really that's one of the things. And again, like I said, it, it's 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 fascinating to me because that was a memory that again, I got to share with other people and, you know, that whole group of friends, we were, we were living in that world. And you guys were talking about what it was like, you know, having commercials in your films and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm totally in there and you probably live that even more. So, yeah, but this was, like I said, this was one of those that, again, when we were talking about the first films we saw together, 
this was one of the first films we saw together nice. and it was pure cheese, pure fun. And I love the idea too, because as I was getting ready for this, I looked it up on YouTube and you can find the actual Siskel and Ebert review of this film when it came out and they both actually liked it. Nice. Yeah. yeah they were both big fans of this. So I was like, okay, my crew, we were, we were in the right yeah. frame of mind because we were, we yeah. were here with Siskel and Ebert. So I was feeling good about that. <laughs> Uh, TT, you and I need to hang out. <laughs> I just the more the more we talk, I realize, oh, you're a good guy. We just need to hang out. We'll we'll sit down. We'll watch Kroll or in, or Enemy Mine or oh yes, oh uh, yeah, you know any of those movies. Just like oh yeah, especially you know we're talking about uh, Sword and Sorcerer, how they had that awesome three bladed sword. I remember Kroll had that incredibly dangerous i would never want to touch blade like I, if i touch the thing it's going to cut all my fingers off i don't know how he's holding that thing yeah. but yeah. all those movies from back in the early 80s those epic 80s fantasy movies are just so fun yeah they're so fun like dragon slayer is brilliant you know <laughs> a kingdom ruled by evil a princess enslaved by passion a warrior driven by justice the you know sword what? I, I, and the sorcerer. I gotta say this also. Uh, I miss '80s fantasy movie cover art. You yeah. know, for the movies. Yeah. Oh yeah, they had they yeah. had the best cover art for their because yeah. it was always you know uh, if you look at like a Conan the Barbarian, you know, you had Schwarzenegger yeah. like just insanely more muscles than he actually had somehow, yeah. and he had like that uh, you know the wolf. A cow over him and then you know the the beautiful lady who's just covered in the smallest threading you know shred like hovering around his leg and he's holding this giant sword and like this is like the most alpha male cover for a movie i've ever seen you know mm -hmm. yeah. I, I miss those just ridiculous cover arts yeah yeah i hear you yeah. i hear you uh let's talk about some honorable mentions shall we i got a I have a bunch, so I'm going to let you guys list off yours, and then I'll just pick up the scraps. TT, did you uh, have any extras like for honorable mention that you wanted to throw out, ones you thought about? You know, honestly, the, the only honorable mention that came up is one straight away that we didn't include. And again, I feel badly for not thinking about it because I'm a huge fan of the franchise. But I'm a, again, I'm a Fast and the Furious guy. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea for me that I didn't think of in including that is like, God, what was I thinking? <laughs> uh, all right. I'll run through some of mine. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, I think, is a really fun movie. Uh, Princess and the Frog is a decent Disney animated film. Uh, I really like that one. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Wanted to mention that. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoy that. Uh, Lady and the Tramp, another really great uh, animated film uh, from Disney. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, notice yep. I said Willy Wonka. And not uh, Charlie. Not Charlie. The chocolate factory. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite, speaking of Disney animated films, one of my all-time favorite Disney animated films, The Fox and the Hound. Uh, Gosh, I love that oh, movie. Yeah. So good, so good. Uh, I also really liked Me and Earl in The Dying Girl, uh, I think yep. is a good movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Aquila and the Bee is another really good film, uh, if you mm -hmm. haven't checked that out. And then another movie. Which one? Aquila and the Bee. Uh, it's about I don't know if I know that the one. spelling bee. As what the B refers to in that case. And then finally, my uh, last honorable mention is a documentary from this year called The Painter and the Thief uh, that is worth uh, looking up if yeah. you haven't uh, seen yes. it yet. So The Painter and the Thief. Uh, what else did you have, Andrew? Uh, I have four more. Uh, 
this is the movie that almost made my top five, but I forgot about it. I don't know if Jason the Argonauts would have break, uh, burned up, but it's a movie starring Ryan Gosling called Lars and the Real oh, Girl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I love this movie. You people say Hollywood is out of fresh ideas. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look no further Some, than Lars, Lars and the real Lars girl. girl. Somebody walked into uh, an exec's office and goes, "Hey, I have an idea. How about we get Ryan Gosling to fall in love with a sex doll, and everybody in the town has to pretend that she's real." I mean. <laughs> That's an insane <laughs> premise, but somehow this movie pulls it off. And Ryan Gosling gives actually a, a really good performance in this movie, selling this character. Um, mm. I love it. It's it's actually heartwarming. Uh, it, it's not a movie that it's easy to recommend simply for the fact that you have to mention that it deals with Ryan Gosling falling in love with a sex doll. Like having to explain that to somebody, I'm like, no, trust me, you're really going to love this movie. <laughs> it's kind of like a Jojo rabbit, you know, where you have to like, no, no, trust me, you're really going to love this movie. It's about a kid whose best friend is Hitler. You know, it's one of those movies. You're like, right. It's hard. It's hard to explain and really convince people that it's really good. Um, James and the giant peach. Sure. I really like, mm -hmm. I think it's a good one. Uh, uh, you were talking about cheese earlier. I think this is the cheesiest of the cheese. Harry and the Hendersons. You know, mm. you have to throw that Ooh. one in there. Yeah, and honestly, it's a movie that gets bashed a lot, but I think it is brilliant. It has an amazing score. That's the Ghost in the Darkness. I oh, love this movie. Oh, yeah. I've actually been to Chicago, uh, the Field Museum, where they actually have the real lions on display there and they have an entire exhibit set up around them. And it tells the story of how these two lions stopped the production of a railroad. in I think it's Sabo Africa where they killed hundreds and hundreds of workers. And it's unprecedented Ooh. that lions have killed this many, you know, people mm. and never got caught until the very end. And they had black manes and they just seemed demonic and evil. And people thought that they were, uh, the spirits of these dead medicine men who had come to stop uh, Western westward expansion through Africa uh, and just the tales and the stories that are being told during this movie. Yes. Val Kilmer's Irish accent is terrible. <laughs> and yeah, you can, I understand there's, there's a lot of razzing on it for that, but if you cut that out, this movie is seriously good. It, it would. It's really close to made it into my top movies. Nice, the top five at least. So yeah. Well, there you go. There's our honorable mentions. Uh, all right, guys, let's get into the buried treasure. What is that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about? Um, Andrew, we're going to let you kick this one off. What you got for your buried treasure this week? Well, uh, Aaron, you might have what would have been my buried treasure, but uh, uh, my sister got me a present and she got me this pillow here, Ooh. which seems nice. Yeah. But if you do this, yeah. it comes. <laughs> Danny <laughs> DeVito. Yeah. And it reminded me that I needed to go back and watch a whole bunch of old uh, Danny DeVito movies that I loved. So my buried treasure for this week is a little known movie called Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah. Nice. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, this movie is hilarious. It's so good. And Anne Ramsey, who is... Uh, the mama in this movie. Uh, she's most famous, I think, for being the evil old lady in the Goonies. Uh, but she mm -hmm. plays Danny DeVito in Danny DeVito's mother in this movie. Uh, and she's just 
the epitome of everything you would hate to have in a mother. She has that cackling evil voice and, you know, it's just, but at the same time, her character is so well thought out and hilarious that I was not surprised to find out that she actually got nominated for best actress because of this role. Right. Um, Interesting. Billy Crystal. Uh, I love young Billy Crystal. He's great in this. Uh, Danny DeVito actually directed this one too, which I thought was really cool. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Throw Mama from the Train, it's a great movie that has subtle. I, it's very, very rare, I think, to see this in a movie. Subtle, ridiculous humor that I, I don't think I've ever seen that. It's ridiculous humor, but you have to listen for it to realize, wait, that's just kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Didn't I just hear that right? So, but yeah, you have to check this one out. I think it's super fun. You know, it's interesting. The first time I watched this, I watched it because I was such a huge Hitchcock fan. Uh, and I wanted oh, to, kind of, yeah, yeah, I wanted to see the, <laughs> yeah. the comedy version of Strangers on a Train. Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, but no, I'm with you. I like Billy Crystal, man. I, the, he's a little bit underappreciated, right? Like, I feel like he, he yeah. gets a lot of props for his Oscar hosting work, which deservedly so. He's, you know, an incredible host. But um, but he's he's really funny and affecting. Like you know, he had a stretch a, a run there where he was doing you know great stuff. And you know, mm-hmm. I'd, oh yeah, I'd I'd still love yeah. to see him get that kind of late <laughs> career surge. You know, that a lot of people get yeah. where um, you know mm-hmm. maybe get a nomination for something. You know, find something really meaty to to play with. I'd love to see that from Billy Crystal. So, yeah, I'm yeah. right there with yeah. you. Yep. Uh, my buried treasure this week is a movie called The Dig. Um, this has been out for a couple weeks now, and I finally got around to uh, checking it out. And it's slipping my brain which streamer this on is on, but I know it's on a streamer. Netflix. Yeah, this is a Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, it is Netflix. Yeah. So this is on Netflix, and uh, if you loved Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman, uh, look no further than here for somewhere where she is completely different. Uh, it is an absolutely different uh, performance. Uh, here also Ray Fines uh, doing work here. This is a movie for me that is the definition of slow burn, right? Like this is a movie that if mm-hmm. if you're gonna get bored, you might you might just want to miss it. Like because there's there's definitely an opportunity here for you not to feel like enough is going on. But I was so captured by these characters and this story, which by the way is based on a true story of a dig that this family did um, in their property. Uh, during with the war, um, or as the war was kind of uh, getting underway, um, that yeah, I was just I was so captivated by it that I it didn't bother me that it was quote unquote slow or that the pacing was down um, because I was just really interested in not only the uh, dynamics of what was going on with the dig, but also the dynamics of her story, what she was going through, how that impacted her family and the relationships. Um, There's a secondary story about some further archaeologists that are called in that I found moving and interesting. Um, It just feels to me like a very complete uh, character piece on all the characters in this uh, this movie. So, uh, Andrew, I will let you know it is not as slow as First Cow. So it's not... How did you know that was... (laughs) How did you know I was going to ask you that? Because I know how much you hate First Cow. I, I totally... I, it's yeah. not quite that slow. So, you know, okay. uh, First Cow makes this look like Armageddon. Um, but yeah, it is... It is, uh, uh-huh. it is. No, it is, it, is, it is definitely slow paced, though. So I wouldn't be surprised if you might have some of those same 
uh, issues, but it is also very interesting. And I did enjoy it enough to give it a recommend here at Buried Treasure. So, <laughs> TT, did you see the dig? Uh, you saw the dig. What did you think? I actually haven't oh, seen the dig. Oh, you didn't see yet. the dig. Okay. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but it's one of those now hearing what you just said. Like, I, I kind of hold off certain films or shows or whatever for the idea that maybe I'll sit down and watch it with my wife. Yeah. My wife does not handle the slow burn oh, at well, all. Oh, well, then, yeah, then no need to wait. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I can just watch this on my own because she's not going to be interested. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, you can check it out on uh, on Netflix. What do you got, TT? What's your buried treasure? Yeah, you know what? I feel like this is my second time here, and once again, I'm going away from the whole movie and sure. film aspect That's of things. Fine. And I, I, I guess you guys bring the bring the music out of me. So bring it, yeah. My buried treasure is actually Al Green, but it's Al Green covers covering other people. Oh, okay. Let me me explain what that really means. Because as a kid growing up, my mom was a huge fan of music. You know, the albums were all over the house. And a big part of growing up was being able to see those those album jackets and like looking at like whether it was a, in, in, you know, a sketch of him or those photos of him with the big hair, he was the coolest guy and he had the most amazing voice. But along the way, every, every album, he would not only have those originals that he had honed and worked on with, with that crack studio band that he had, but he would always find two or three cover songs that he would do that to be quite honest, as it, it, in my head, probably from maybe six to like 16, I just assumed that these were just his songs. I did not know that they that they were covers at all. So, you know, I would go with "How Can You Mend a Broken Heart," which was a yeah. PG song. His yeah. version of that is is the version that I still, whenever even was saying the title, I'm hearing his version of the song. Right? Yeah, yeah. He covered yeah. them. He covered Willie Nelson with "Funny How Time Slips Away." And again, I love that song, but it, it takes me a moment. I really have to like stop and say, "Okay, wait a minute." I can't think about the Al Green version of this because I know the Willie Nelson version and I love the Willie Nelson version too. Yeah. But it was like, he, he would do that. He would take someone else's song. He would make it an Al Green song. I mean, he did the same thing with Chris Christopherson for the good times. And again, that's part of the, the charm of what he was able to do in a particular time when, you know, music was already so segregated as it was. You had, you know, the soul charts, you had the pop charts, you had the country charts, but yet you had an artist like Al Green who was just like, well, wait a minute, I can make my own songs, which I do. But he's like, if I want to go and find something else, he's like, these songs are not necessarily listed or we shouldn't be thinking about them in terms of genre. It's like, yeah, I can take this song and make it an Al Green song. Mm -hmm. And he did it time and time again. And I wish there are so many musicians, both past and present, that I look at and I think, wow, I really love what you do. I love your work. But I'd love to see you do this. Because, again, what he was kind of doing was like what jazz artists had always done. You would have, you know, the standards and the Great American Songbook, which he would just, you know, he, he was showing us that, yeah, that didn't have to be just limited to jazz. You could take, you know, a soulful or a rhythm and blues kind of take on any song that you wanted and you could make it work. So, yeah, I would hope that people would dig into him, even if it's just whether it's, you know, whatever music streaming service you have or it's easy now to get on YouTube and like just fall into the the rabbit hole of like performances from Al Green. You can mm-hmm. just like click them and look them up. And but again, yeah, I'm hoping that that inspires people to go back and say, well, yeah, I want to see what my favorite artist would do with someone else's song. 
And yeah, we need more of that in the world. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I'll have to search that out. Check that out. Uh, I think TT saying that we bring out the music in him is the greatest compliment I've ever gotten in my life from anybody. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think I told, I think I understand what you're saying. Like uh, with Al Green doing songs, like I think he did the uh, the Chris Christopherson. Uh, oh, what was that song? Um, I forget, but I think he did a cover of a Chris Christopherson song. But mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes you feel like uh, somebody else wrote this song for them. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. they did their version. <laughs> uh, the one that always pops into my mind is uh, Trent Reznor wrote Hurt, and then mm -hmm. Johnny Cash did a cover of it. Right. Um, and it makes you feel like, yeah, Trent Reznor uh, was singing a song, but Johnny Cash was telling a story with his right. version. And it, right. and it feels like that whenever somebody can take somebody else's work and make it their own, I think that's another level of magic that is just uh, once in a lifetime. We, you rarely get to see that. And I'm with you, TT. We need, we need to bring that back. Yeah, yeah we definitely do. I would, like I said, I, I have a whole list of musicians and I'm kind of like, yeah, I'd love to see you do this person's song over here sure. or whatever it is. And you could have, again, you know, it's the idea. It takes the mashup to a completely different level. Because again, yeah. it's really about making sure that you place your own personal stamp on yeah, whatever right. that song is, whatever that genre is. You can say, yeah, I can, I can make this something else. Yeah. And it's the sort of, in some ways, bringing it back to film, that's kind of what we look at when we're talking about reboots and all of this kind of sure. stuff. But again, I think the problem is, especially with film, you don't necessarily have to go for a, you know, for a film that people already love and just updating it for a new audience it's like yeah you take something that maybe didn't quite work or didn't quite hit in the way that it should and say right. well, wait a minute yeah what there was a good idea here yeah i think i can execute it a little better yeah and i think that's what we need more out of the idea of these reboots and everything like yeah take something that didn't work don't give me you know don't take us don't take you know, a film that that did really well back in the day and just say, yeah, we don't think that, you know, newer audiences are going to be interested in this particular version of it. So we'll make a version that looks like them. Right. You don't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. Like I said, makes go with something that didn't work yeah. and make that yeah. better. Yeah. It was for the good times as a Chris Christopherson version yeah. that I was thinking of. Mm -hmm. Oh, he also did sitting on the dock of the bay, the Otis Redding song. So I never mm -hmm. heard his version of that. So I guess and that's it's, what I'm doing after we yeah, it's really good too. It totally is. Well, I mean, uh, Taylor Swift is redoing her own songs, so you know, there's there's that that, Wait, that we've got going for us. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's covering her own songs so that uh, she can like own them completely and you know have versions that are are hers. Uh, oh. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hey. funny. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I like that in terms of the business behind it and why sure. she's doing it. I'm I'm totally 100 behind her for that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, she she made all this stuff, and yeah, she should have have the rights yeah. and access to it. So no, good for her. I agree. Uh, well, we did it, guys. We did a podcast. Congratulations Woo! to us. Look at us go. We set out on this journey when it started to make sure a podcast happened, and we have successfully accomplished said journey uh well you guys did i i did half of the work i only saw <laughs> one of the movies that's true that's true you were quite a slacker this week
thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to uh, Andrew for hanging out with us again today. Well, thank you, buddy. Uh, big thank you to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. Thanks to Drew for the uh, graphics and putting together some of the graphics for the show. Golf clap. And a big thank you again to TT hanging out with us again. TT, uh, tell us, uh, tell people where they can find you online. Where would you want to send people to see more stuff from you? Yeah, the easiest place is TerrenceTodd.com. That's where I archive everything from writings to the reviews I do five days a week on Fox 19. Plus, I now have a new project that I'm working on. I got an arts grant here in the city. So I'm going to be looking at uh, truth and reconciliation, looking at uh, the idea of representation in film and how I approach that as a critic. So we'll be doing long form essays for that and also coming up with a podcast. So I'm going to be taking what I have learned from being here with you guys and (laughs) developing a podcast myself where I'm talking to people about representation and what it means to them and the the films that that kind of... uh, gave them a chance to see themselves on screen. Nice. Very, very cool. Uh, also, much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Support starts at 3 bucks a month, and uh, you get access to all the bonus episodes with that. You can find out more at patreon.com slash siftpop. Uh, lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to comment, rate, or leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also email us, feedback at siftpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show, too. So make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than trying to find a bad Daniel Kaluuya performance. Uh, We will be back next week with Nomadland as well as another review. And uh, we will see you then.